we are in a sermon series. We're actually week five in a sermon series called uh, Pressure Points, and um, it's a series. If you haven't been with us, basically the whole series is really formulates around a key phrase. Anybody remember the phrase that keeps coming up week after week? Yeah, great. Here it is. Uh, pressure doesn't pressure doesn't define you. It refines you, right? If you choose to respond to it in the right way, right? Because it's, it's how you respond. And this is just general, a general life principle. A, a lot of times what happens to you in life happens, and then it's how do you respond to it that really matters in your life. So today we're going to be talking about what Tracy mentioned in the children's message uh, of conflict. Did you know that the United States has more lawyers per capita than any other country in the world? A couple of years ago, there were 799,000 licensed lawyers in the United States. That's one for every 320 people. Now, obviously, lawyers need to have something to do. So as a result, the United States also leads the world in lawsuits. Now, this isn't to bash lawyers much, um, but <laughs> most, of these, most of these lawsuits are legitimate where a wrong has been done and that wrong has not been settled in an, in an appropriate manner. Um, but in many cases, the people see a way, see the, you know, this, this infringement as a way to um, make huge financial gain if they can leverage the case correctly. Uh, if you've watched the news or seen the stories, you remember many years ago, um, Stella Liebeck, who sued McDonald's in 1992, after spilling a cup of coffee, her cup of coffee she spilled in her own lap, Stella was awarded $2.9 million in damages by a New Jersey jury. And ever since then, McDonald's has had to warn people that their coffee is hot. (laughs) Or uh, Roy Roy Pearson, he's a 57-year-old administrative law judge from Washington, D.C., claims, now get this, claims that a dry cleaner lost a pair of his pants, so he's suing this mom-and-pop dry cleaner business for $64 million. Yeah, $64 million. A couple of you just had a retirement plan pop into your head. Uh, Representing himself, Judge Pearson cried in court over the loss of his pants, whining that there certainly isn't a more compelling case in the district archives. Now, you know, the the superior court judge just threw the case out, but this other guy is still appealing because he says the pants are integral to his life. You know what it's like, though, to be wrong. You know what it's like to have an infringement against you. There's this emotional response. You know, Tracy mentioned a a, a flip-flop stomach kind of response, but there's another another emotional response that we get that comes from uh, from inside, and that's this idea, this emotion called revenge. We want to get back at someone. You want to power up. You want to rage up, lawyer up, because it isn't fair that this person did something, said something, hid something, took something, or even thought something that was a legitimate offense to you. It happens outside the church. It happens all over the world. It also happens inside the church. There's that old story of a man who was stranded on a desert island, and when he was rescued, the rescuer walks up onto the desert island, and the rescuer sees three huts in the distance. And the rescuer says to the man, what, what's that first hut? And he said, well, that's my house. That's where I live. And then the rescuer says, well, what's the, the second hut? Oh, that's my church. And well, then what's that third hut? 
That's the church I used to go to. (laughs) It's a bad pastor joke, but um, I I read a study, though, and this one's more serious. I read a study that 85% of churches in America have such conflict within the body of Christ gathered to worship, 85% have such conflict that they're on the verge of closing their doors. The body of Christ gathered together to worship God for love, grace, and mercy, and for his forgiveness, can't extend that same thing to each other. And as a result, 85% of churches in America are more focused on inside stuff, internal stuff, rather than getting out there and reaching the world for Jesus, reaching for the lost. That's why we're here. We have to ask the question, is there a better way to resolve conflict than to drag someone to court. And that's really where our pressure point statement comes in. When you're wronged, how do you respond? So here's the question we're going to process today. For those of us that follow Christ, how do we respond when somebody who is a Christ follower, not necessarily, although this does apply, not necessarily to people who aren't believers, but people who are Christ followers, somebody in your family or even here at church, how do we respond when you've been wronged by them? In our small group study, Um, For those of us who are involved in the small group study that's going along with the sermon series, we're going through the book of James, and we're going to be seeing in your small groups the the internal battle that happens when you are wronged and when when this pressure point of conflict comes up. Today, we're not going to be looking at the internal part, but we're going to actually take a look externally um, on the external symptoms of when you are wronged and you're in conflict. This sermon actually... In your bulletin, uh, we always put this in the bulletin. On the back side, it's blank. This would be a good sermon to be taking notes. Um, I have just a couple of points uh, and to reference back later just from what Jesus says because whether you're a believer or not, whether you believe in God or not, what Jesus teaches us about how to resolve conflict, how to handle conflict, um, it crosses the board of humanity. So we're going to take a look at a couple of, of passages of Jesus' teaching. Um, I'm going to read both of them, make a couple of comments, and there's a twist on these passages, and most of you will recognize when we start getting into these, these verses. We've had them in church before. Most of, most of you will recognize them, but there's a twist that you're not going to realize um, at the very end. So Jesus, here's the setup. Jesus is at the Sermon on the Mount, um, and he's one of the, the most famous sermons uh, in the world, and he is speaking to a group of people, and he's speaking about all kinds of things, relationships, he's speaking uh, about um, marriage and divorce and all kinds of different things. And uh, he gets to Matthew 5, that's where we're going to be, Matthew 5, and then also Matthew 18, so I'll, I'll shout those out. Matthew 5, verses 23 to 25, gets to this part, and he's talking about harboring anger against another person who's a believer or a Christ follower, or just basically harboring anger. So, Um, He's talking about uh, anger, and he says this. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift, this is what what you do in the context of a worship service. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. He says, stop worshiping. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then offer your gift. You know what? At the beginning of the worship service, we greet each other. You know, that's kind of what we do. In, this was such an important idea in the early church that right before they took communion 
And we actually do this in our Lutheran liturgy. Right before, it's the normal place. Right before communion, there's a sharing of the what? Of the peace. That was the place in the worship services where people would go, you know what, Terry, I got an issue with you, man. And they would, you would go and, and not necessarily have a whole counseling session during the worship service, but just say, we got to get together. Let's go for coffee. I don't have an issue with Terry, by the way. Um, but it was just an opportunity to get that reconciled before you worship. Um, Jesus goes on and says this, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Then Jesus says this in Matthew 18. He continues teaching on this. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Again, Jesus' advice on conflict resolution, while we know these verses, um, is so key. And I, I'm convinced that if we are intentional about following how this works as we walk into it in a second, 99% of our conflicts will be uh, handled correctly, but will will resolve quicker. So there's four things that Jesus teaches us about how to handle conflict, the pressure of conflict. And it's four things are these. Ready? Let's see these together. Ready? Go. Quickly, face-to-face, one-on-one, get help. Okay, so here's the first one. Quickly. Sermon of the Mount, Jesus warned the believer who harbored anger against his brother or sister that that was just as serious as murder in God's eyes. Anger, harboring anger against another believer, another Christ follower, was just as serious as murder. And since that's how God sees anger, we should take it seriously. Now, there are those of us who have been hurt in a bad, bad way. Not from our own fault, but from other people. There are people in your past, there's people that you're even angry with right now, and you've been angry at them for years and years and years. You don't even know what it would be like to not be angry. I also realize that there are some that have a lot of painful backgrounds, um, experiences, abusive relationships. What Jesus calls for in this passage isn't easy. It may require some professional help to deal with anger, but it might be your anger that's keeping you from feeling happy or experiencing joy. That doesn't define you. Pressure, this pressure of anger doesn't define you. You're God's child. You're loved. But it could be keeping you from experiencing all that God would have for you. So do it quickly. Go quickly. There's a verse... um, there's, there's a verse, 1 John 4.20. Uh, let me read this. Um, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. That's how serious God is about this. For anyone who hates his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, that verse takes a lot of unpacking. But Jesus is making the point, John is making the point, that anger, unresolved conflict, is a big, big deal. So you do it quickly. Second thing you do is you do it face-to-face. Notice I didn't say email-to-email, text-to-text, or Facebook-to-Facebook. 
Face-to-face communication gets harder every day. Our society is moving further and further away from face-to-face interactions and communication. That, that used to be the only option. Then the invention of handwriting. You could write a letter to someone. And then the, the telephone, now email, texting. Now all you have to do is, if you're angry at somebody, you just throw a tweet out there and it goes around the world. That's power. That's scary. So you go quickly. You go face-to-face with the person. Third one is this. You go one-on-one. Matthew 18, 15 says, just between the two of you. Now, right away, I, I have to um, just identify a sin in your small group. And if you're a Christian, you may have done this sin. Um, you go one-on-one just between you and the person. Raise your hand if you've ever talked about someone before you talked to someone. Woo, true confession. We are all like, yep, did that. And if we're really spiritual, we make it into a prayer request. Man, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. You guys, I, I, I need prayer for my relationship with Bob. He's such a jerk. <laughs> right? We spiritualize it. Okay, let's pray for Bob who's such a jerk. Yeah. Um, no matter how we dress it up and spiritualize it, it's just wrong to talk to somebody. It's just wrong to talk about somebody before you talk to somebody, okay? I'm going to switch, Steve. Okay. Ooh, yeah, I like this one better. Um, there is one exception to this rule, though. Um, one of the one exception is there is one person you can talk to before you talk to the other person, and that's God. That's the first step. You go to God, and you don't say, God, change Bob. You say, God, change me. What, what is it that I have done that have contributed to this conflict? There's a, uh, a marriage counselor that I heard of who always applied what he called the 10% rule. When couples came to him for counseling, he would try and get the couples before their next meeting to figure out 10% of the conflict and, and own 10% of the conflict by saying, you know, what, is, what 10% did I cause? What is on me in that 10%? The logic was is that the next time they met, the problem would, would, would be 20% solved. But what he found was that the con- in, in doing just owning a little bit, 85, 90% of the conflict was taken care of. It's an amazing thing when we say, you know what? It takes two to tango. I hate that phrase, but it's true. There are things that we do um, that uh, contribute to the conflict. Fourth one is this. So quickly, face-to-face, one-on-one, and then get help. Um, Here, Jesus lays out a biblical system for escalation. What happens when you go to the person and they just, you you can't resolve the conflict? And again, we're talking about in the context of a church body here. Um, First, the two of you and the trusted friends take it to bring it to the church. Now, it doesn't mean pulling somebody up front and saying, hey, this person sinned against me and we have a whole counseling session, like I said, in the worship service. But for us here at Trinity, the next step would be to bring it to the pastoral staff and meet with Pastor Tim, myself, or Pastor Fred. And we, we talk through that conflict, especially between people in the church. Um, sometimes we'll bring it, depending on the situation, we'll bring in uh, a deacon or, or one of the guys from the elder group uh, to come in um, as well. That's what this means. It doesn't necessarily mean bring it before the whole group, but it's so important to resolve the conflict as fast and as best 
You can. And I love the verse, Romans 12, 18, I believe it is. It says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So if you get to a point in your conflict where you're like, I've done everything that I feel God is calling me to do that's biblical, then you're done. And you let God handle um, the other side of the equation. Okay? So why is this important? And this is kind of the different look on this. Why is, this, why is Jesus teaching us about conflict and, and why it's important? Why is it in the Bible? I mean, obviously, like a good dad, God, who's our Heavenly Father, doesn't want to see their kids argue. You know, what father in here would, you know, you see your kids arguing and you're like, make popcorn, this is going to be great, watch this, you know, and you let them wrestle it out. You know, we want our kids to get along. We want our kids to love each other as we love them. That's what God has for us. And the other dimension of this, of how we as Christ followers treat each other, there's another dimension at play here. Resolving conflict between believers is a picture of how God resolved conflict between humanity and himself. That's what God did. Your sin is an offense to God. My sin is an offense to God. It's a breaking of our relationship with him. He didn't, and here's the thing, he didn't wait for humanity to come to him and say, oh, I'm sorry. He went, came by sending Jesus to die for us and save us, pay the price for our sin. So he went quickly. He did it right away, right in Genesis 3.15 is is kind of the the first prophecy, if you will, of of some sort of reconciliation happening. Right as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he's, he's kicking them out of the garden, and he's saying this thing about Satan biting the heel and bruising the head and all that. And that's a foreshadowing of God recapturing the world. So he did it quickly. He does it face-to-face, not in a sense of here he is, but in a sense of one-on-one. It's you and God. And when you, have, when you have that experience of the one-on-oneness with God, your life will never be the same. It changes you. So, so he does it quickly. He does it one-on-one, face-to-face. And he also does it not like he needs help, but you get to a point in your life when you've been running away from God so much that he uses every tool at his disposal to turn you around. It could be a message in church. It could be a comment of someone. It could be a tragedy in your life. It could be like Pastor Brian Cole being in prison. I mean, it, it could be anything. Anything that God can do to, to reach you, to reach us, he'll do it. And so as we're f- thinking about it and as we're feeling that pressure of conflict, you know, right now maybe there's somebody that comes to mind that you're like, yep, my family member, my person at work, my neighbor, my kid, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. Maybe it's one of those people in your life that you're like, I need to, I need to step forward and the Holy Spirit's moving me to do that. Um, we're going to, in a moment, just pray. And I want to pray about that for you, that God would lead you to take those steps as hard and maybe as scary as that might be. Okay, can we do that? Let's do that. Let's stand to pray. Father, I, I'm just so thankful that the conflict of sin um, 
the uh, that that barrier of uh, that was caused by sin that you have taken that step forward to come to us and save us because of Jesus. And now, God, you give us that message of reconciliation to take to the world. And maybe that means starting right with this this person that I'm thinking about right now, or maybe this group of people um, that I'm thinking about right now that I have a conflict with them that's been unresolved for way too long. Father, give me the strength, the opportunity to step out and to go to them in humility and in love to resolve that conflict, Father. Through your spirit, I ask this, Father. I ask you give us strength to do so.